Thank you. The Bible says God inhabits the praise of His people, and I believe that we have been praising Him biblically this morning. And so God's here. God is here, and I know God is going to speak to lives and change hearts today, and I'm so, so thankful for that. Well, God has led me down a different path this week, and I believe this is a message that He wants me to speak to you today. So please listen to the Lord as His Word is proclaimed this morning. My, my question is, why do kids, listen, why do kids of godly parents go astray? I'll be honest with you and tell you, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I wish that I did so that, you know, I could write a book, not to make a million dollars, but to help a lot of families uh, avoid a whole lot of pain. Why do kids of good parents go astray. I don't know why, but I I know the Bible is full of many godly parents who had kids who went haywire. I mean, the the list is almost endless. Adam, Noah, Samuel, Eli, David, these were all great godly men whose kids went haywire. Even today, many godly parents have, have kids that have been raised in church, but yet they still make bad decisions and go the wrong way. I don't know why. I'm, I'm just honest. I, I don't know why. Today I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that, that shows not why kids go the wrong way, but what we are to do when our kids go the wrong way. And, and maybe your family is great today, and maybe you don't have kids that are rebelling, but you know what? If you'll just step back and think about it, I guarantee you every family represented here today has someone in the extended family that has rebelled. It may be a niece or a nephew. It could be a cousin. You know what? It could even be flipped and you have parents that have gone the wrong way. But all of us have someone in our family who has rebelled. As I read this story, I notice there are three stages in a typical child's rebellion. Stage one is the rebellion where they leave and go out and sow their wild oats. Stage two is the reevaluation that we pray happens when they repent of what they've done with their life. And then number three, hopefully, they come to the stage of return and reconciliation with their family. In fact, we see all three of these stages in the story we're going to read today. It's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. One of Jesus' most popular parables, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. And I'd like to read that for you today. Again, listen to me, okay? I don't want to lose any of you throughout this message because it's so important. I think there are two levels of truth that I want to try to speak to you today on. The first level is that human relationship. Because, you know, this really happens in families where kids rebel and they go the wrong way. And it may be happening in your family today. But for all of us, it happens spiritually. Because mankind has walked away from God. And we need to be reconciled to the Lord. So no matter what the situation is in your life, whether it's on a human plane that you're dealing with family members who have rebelled, or it's you yourself who has rebelled against God, this story talks about it. Luke chapter 15, I'll start in verse 11. Then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. That's interesting. We're just going to talk about the younger son today. The the older son, he stayed home. He didn't rebel. He didn't run away. But let me tell you, he was worse off than the younger brother. 
He had more problems than his brother did. That's for another sermon. We're not going to preach it today. But understand there were two sons. Verse 12, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me. And if you underline in your Bible, you might want to underline those two words. Here's what he said to his daddy. Daddy, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so the father divided to both of them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together all of his stuff and he journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country... And the citizen sent him out into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate because no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, thank God for that. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, and this is the speech he rehearsed to himself when he was feeding the swine. He was saying to himself, I'll go and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, underline those two words, make me like one of your hired servants. And so he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring out the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. But now he's found. And they celebrated. <laughs> Amen. Lord, I pray that you'd speak this word into our hearts today. And Lord, if we have a child, a grandchild, a family member that has rebelled and left home, Lord, help us to learn from this passage what we can do for them. Lord, if there's anyone this, in this room that's rebelled and is running from you, I pray that they would come to themselves and that they would repent and come home today. I love you, Lord. Please speak to the hearts of the people from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to jump right into it. Stage number one rebellion. You know, in every parent-child relationship, there is a power struggle that goes on. Okay, You can say amen to me today because all of you have experienced this. There is a power struggle that goes on. From day one, the issue is who is in control in this relationship. And you know, when, when it's a little bitty baby, the parents ought to be 100% in control. I'm not going to get into that. Sometimes maybe we're not, but you know what? We ought to be. But as that child starts growing, the control begins to shift. 
And I know that kids want control long before parents are willing to give control, right? In verse 12, we have the classic confrontation that happens in almost every family. Father, give me my share. What this kid was saying is this. You know, you know what? If I could just do things the way I want to do things, if I could just be my own boss, if I didn't have to answer to anybody, boy, life would be a whole lot better. In fact, this farm life stinks. I'm sick of the farm. I'm ready to take off to the big city. Now, we don't know how old this kid was, probably 17 or 18 years old. But look at verse number 13. It says, and not many days after. That is, when the father did divide the inheritance and give half of the inheritance to this younger son... The younger son gathered all together, and he journeyed to the far country. And there he wasted his possessions in wild living. So he heads off to Sunset Strip in Jerusalem. He's cruising down the boulevard in his Camelac. And I mean, he's partying. He's having a grand time. He's having a great time doing all the things that he dreamed about doing on the farm but was unable to do. So you tell me, what do you do when your kid is old enough and you can't control them anymore and they just say, I'm out of here. I'm splitting. I'm going to go do things my own way. I want my inheritance. I'm going to leave. What do you do? Well, let's follow the example of this father. Because the father in our story is God. Do you know that? God represents this father. And this father did the right thing when his son left. So, do you want to know what he did? Do you want to do the right thing? I really don't think you do. Because it's tough. Here's what this father did. Number one, when your kid rebels and leaves, you let him go. You let him go. The Bible says the son journeyed to a far country. And notice the father is not chasing behind him. Why? Because he released him. You know, parents, listen to me. If we step back and we look at the big picture, the big picture is this. From birth, we are preparing our kids to leave. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And one day, hopefully, thank God, they will leave. You know, probably the hardest thing in parenting is to know when to hold on to and when to let go of. I mean, really, when do you let go of them? If your 18-year-old came to you and said, I want half of the family inheritance, and I'm going to go out and waste it in wild living partying, doing drugs, and living with prostitutes, would you give the money to them? Absolutely no. You know, but the big picture again, it's kind of interesting to me that money is one of the ways that we try to hold on to our kids. We manipulate with money. We bribe with money to keep our kids and hold on to them. It, it probably seemed foolish to this father and no doubt he had tried to reason with his son, but to no avail. The young man was determined 
to leave. And the father knew he could do nothing to keep him there. Sometimes the tighter we hold on to the kids, the more they resist it. And like a volcano, sooner or later, things are going to erupt. And so you let them go. Dude, that's hard. Come on, talk to me. That's hard. When you know your kid is going down the wrong road, it's hard to let them go, right? But the second thing's even harder. Number two, you let them make their own mistakes. Verse 13, he went out and squandered his wealth in wild living. At first, everything's great, it's party time. You know, he's doing everything that he was forbidden to do at home. He, he throws out his parents' value system. He totally rejects the family name and what he has been taught. And what does he do? He wastes his life. But can I tell you something? Rebellion is always a waste. Do you think that his father back home knew, even before he left, that he was going to waste his money and his life? Without a doubt. Do you think he knew his son was headed for trouble? Absolutely. Do you think he was tempted to send letters and advice? Yes, he was. But this father realized that there are some things that you can only learn through pain. And this was a stubborn child. He's going to have to go through the school of hard knocks. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's risky. And it's hard. And we don't want to see our kids go through it. But this kid had to learn, and the only way he was going to learn was through hitting the bottom. And so this father let him go. This father let him make his own mistakes. And number three, this father let his son reap the consequences of his bad choices. And if you think the first two were tough, I think this third one beats them all. You let your kid reap the consequences of the choices they make. Verse 14, after he had spent all, he began to be in need. Again, there is always a price tag for rebellion. Amen? The, the Bible says whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. So let's see what this boy reaped in verse number 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in what? Want. I've got to think that God had a little bit of control with that as well. Not only did this kid lose everything and spend all of his money, the land was in a famine. Nobody had anything. I mean, he is at the bottom. Verse 15, and so he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, a foreigner, and the foreigner sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And this kid would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate because no one gave him anything. I mean, guys, this is incredible. You're listening to this and you're seeing it on one level. The people Jesus was speaking this to saw it on a completely different level because Jewish boys had nothing to do with pigs. Jews didn't even go around pigs, much less touched them. So we know this kid had hit his chin on the last rung of the ladder because he's living with the pigs. And he's eating what they ate. He's hit the bottom. 
You talk about hard times, man. He's living them. Party is over. He's broken, friendless, empty pockets, empty life, empty stomach. Now, let me just do a little time out. How do you think his parents felt? Maybe they got word back at the farm what, what their kid was going through. How, how did they feel? How would you feel? Maybe, maybe you would ask the question, why, why is my kid doing this? It's not the way I raised them. Or where did I go wrong as a parent? But, but church, listen to me. The Bible gives no indication that this happened because of bad parenting. The fact is, we all make mistakes as parents. There is not a perfect parent in this room. But you need to understand, you are not the only influencer in your child's life. And you need to wake up to the fact that your kid is making choices on their own. That you really have no control over. They have friends that you don't control. They read books that you don't control. They're listening to teachers that you don't control. And, and it's not fair for you to take all the blame. Oh, you can take the blame that's due you. But don't take all the blame because it's not all your fault. Kids make decisions. I mean, back up and look at it. You made some pretty bad decisions when you were a kid. I'm, I'm losing some of you, so look at me. You're turning me off, but you know what you did? I did. I made some horrible decisions. And, and it wasn't my parents' fault. Those bad decisions I made were not Will and Jerry Harmon's fault. They were my fault. You got to understand that, you know what? Kids are just going to make bad decisions. You did. God understands all of this. Even if you were a perfect parent, kids are still going to rebel. God is a perfect parent. Everybody say amen. God is a perfect parent. Does he have rebellious children? <laughs> Absolutely he does. So you can't feel guilty over something that you can't control. So here's stage one, it's rebellion. What do you do when your child rebels? Number one, you let them go. Number two, you let them make their own mistakes. And then number three, you allow them to reap the consequences of the mistakes that they make. It's tough, but for some kids, that's the only way they're going to learn. Now, I almost didn't put this in my notes, but you know what? I think the Lord wants me to say it to you. The great temptation when we get to this point, when our kids hit bottom, is to intervene and to bail them out. I mean, it's just human nature. We birthed them. We've invested in them. We love them. It breaks our heart to see them rebel and make a mess of their life. And so we think we're doing the right thing when we intervene and bail them out. We want to send them a pair care package. We want to fly out to where they are and get them out of jail. We want to send money. But this father in our story knew that nature had a way of disciplining our children that we will never be able to discipline them with. So don't short circuit the natural consequences of the choices that your kids make. If they make bad choices, let them hit the bottom. They need to reap that choice. And it's not because you don't love them. It's because you do love them. 
That's how we learn. That's how we learn. And listen to me again. I'm, this is the father here doing this. Because, because this father did not intervene. Because he did not bail his kid out. He was able to get, go to stage two. And what is stage two? It's reevaluation. Let me read it in verse 17. But when this kid came to himself, praise God for that. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I am perishing with hunger. Here's what I do. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please, father, Abba, father, daddy, make me like one of your hired servants. Do you see the change? I mean, back in verse number 12, he's cocky. He's full of himself. He's ready to leave farm life and go to the big city. So he bows out his chest and he gets in his daddy's face and he says, Get me, daddy. Give me. Give me what I deserve. Give me. You get it? Give me. Give, he's demanding, cocky attitude, cocky. He's feeling hot. He's hotter than fish grease. Did y'all hear that the other night? Nobody watches NBA, huh? LeBron, he was hotter than fish grease. He's feeling cocky, man. Give me, give me, give me. But now he's hit the bottom. He's living with the pigs, and he has had a change of attitude. No longer is it give me. Now humbly he is saying, make me, make me. It is an attitude of submission. He goes through a stage of reevaluation. He wises up to the facts of life. He's saying to himself, what in the world am I doing? I have made a mess of my life. I've lost the inheritance. I've lost my good family name and reputation. I've lost all my money, all my food, all my friends. And he comes to himself. Just a quick time out. Would he have ever gotten to this place if daddy would have bailed him out and sent more money? Chances are, no. He woke up to the fact that his life was a mess. And because of that, listen to this, because of that, he had some regrets. I'm here in a pig pen. This place stinks. And you know what? Back home, the hired servants who were employed by my family, my father, have it much better than I have it here. You see, guys, we never change until we get desperate. And maybe the reason your kid hasn't come back home is because they are not desperate enough yet. Maybe they're going to have to hit bottom first. And for some kids, it takes a whole lot more for them to learn. Doesn't it? I mean, some kids, you can just say, don't stand on the floor furnace. And they never stand on the floor furnace again. Other kids don't learn the lesson until they lay on it and they scorch the side of their face with the floor furnace and their lines burn into their... How would I know that? (laughs) 
Figuratively speaking, some kids need to be hit over the head. Figuratively speaking. There's the reevaluation. You know, I, I really am making a mess of my life. They have regrets. <laughs> I've really messed things up. But because of those regrets, hopefully it leads to repentance. He says, you know what, I'm going to go back home. Not for a change of clothes, but for a change of heart. He left saying, give me. But when he comes back, he says, make me. That's what's happening in the pig swine. That's what's happening with the rebellious kid. He's reevaluating. He's coming to his senses. He's regretting. He's repenting. He's rehearsing what he's going to say when he sees his family. Daddy, I've sinned. Please forgive me. But what's going on back at the family farm? What's happening with Ma and Paul as they're waiting? What do we need to be doing when our kids are in the far country rebelling? Well, there are three things I think we can do, and you need to mark these down. I'm just going to give them to you really quick. The first thing that we need to be doing is praying for our kids. You pray for your kids. Are you listening to me? You pray for your kids. If they are rebelling, you pray for them, and you pray for them, and you don't stop praying for them. Do you believe in the power of prayer, church? Well, I do. So why aren't we doing it for our kids? They're our kids. And if anybody is going to pray for them, it needs to be us. I, I don't want to knock on plastic or down here on wood. I got three great kids. They, they really never caused Angie and I much trouble at all. I thank God for my kids. But you know what? Even, even having good kids, I pray for my kids every day because I know the devil is after them. And so every day, not just in the morning, but every day, all day long, and at night, the last thing I do before I go to bed, I pray for my kids. I pray God's protection on them. I pray the armor of God on them because the devil is after them. And so we pray, we pray, we pray. I was, I was reading Twitter yesterday, going through looking at tweets and came across this. I didn't even know this guy. Somebody had retweeted it and it appeared and and the deal is that he he came home on saturday i guess he's in college and uh, unannounced to his parents he just decided to go home and walked in the door uh and couldn't find his dad anywhere he yelled for his mom couldn't find his mom and he said i finally found mom in the in the study and uh, she had the bible out on the floor and my mama was down on her hands and knees and she was she was praying she was praying for the family, and she was praying for me. And, and this kid took a snapshot of that and posted it on Twitter. And he says, thank God for a praying mom. Dude. You praying for your kids? Are you on your knees for your kids? Let me tell you, if your kid is rebelling, that's the one thing you need to be doing for them, praying for them. Number two, you commit them to God. Guys, it is comforting to me as a parent to know that the things that are out of my control are not out of God's control. And so you commit your kids to God. 
I'll just use the one in the middle who's not here today. Callie, she just finished her last final at, at Baylor for the semester on Saturday. She has to work a few more days until she's coming home for, for just a, a short break. But you know what? Callie's a good girl. She's going to a great school, a Christian school. She's studying religion. She's a theology major. She had the top grade in her Hebrew class this year. <laughs> Am I bragging? Well, you better believe I'm bragging. I'm proud of Callie. But you know what? I pray for Callie every day and I commit Callie to God. Why? Because she's way down in Waco. She's in Waco, Texas. And everything inside of me wants to be down there protecting my little girl. Because I know the devourer is after her. I believe God is going to do great things in Callie's life. And if he can derail her right now, if the devil can derail her, he's made a great victory. So I know he's attacking her. And I want to be there to protect her. But I can't. I can't. You know, I've let her go. She's, she's grown up. I, I released her. I let her go. But you know what? Daily I commit her to God. And I say, Lord, I can't be down in Waco. I can't protect my baby. But you can do a much better job than I can. So I commit her to you. You pray, you wait, you commit. So you wait, you wait, and then you wait. Sometimes there's a long wait, but there's always a waiting period. Many of you right now are in the waiting period, and you've been waiting a long time. Don't short-circuit God's discipline, and don't give up. You keep praying. Now, I'm not talking about a fifth grader. <laughs> I'm not talking about doing this with a fifth grader. That's a different sermon. If your fifth grader is rebelling, I want to go back. I'll just take you back to the Old Testament. Spare the rod, spoil the child. A lot of people don't like that, and it's not popular these days. It's not socially acceptable. But let me tell you, discipline is important. You know? My goodness. It's part of a job to whip a kid. A, listen, listen to me. A daily whipping... Did me all the good in the world. But I, I deserved it, all right? Somebody's going to call DHS on me, aren't you? Okay. I'm not talking about a fifth grade kid, but a teenager. We're talking about a teenager who rebels and says, I'm out of here. What do you do? You pray, you commit, you wait. And because this father who in our story represents the perfect father, God, did it right, we get to come to stage three. What is stage three? It's the return. And how you handle the return of a child is absolutely crucial. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now remember, this is the perfect ideal father, and he did three things. Ideally, you want to do three things when your rebellious child comes to their senses and comes back home. Number one, you love them faithfully. You never stop loving them. It says his father saw him and was filled with compassion. No matter how far they fall, no matter how long you wait, you need to leave the door open for reconciliation with your kids. You love them faithfully. 
Guys, let me say, it is a stubborn love that refuses to give up. You don't bail them out in advance because they don't learn the lesson when you bail them out in advance. You let them reap the consequences. That's called tough love. And realize that for some kids, the only way they're going to come to that point of repentance is through facing the consequences of their own decision. That means, practically speaking, that means they might have to spend a night in jail. It might mean that they hit rock bottom. It may mean that there is an unwanted pregnancy. It may mean that there is a drug addiction. None of us like those things. We don't want it for our kids. We don't want it for our family or ourselves. But you know what? You can't control it anyway. But you got to be ready that when that time comes and they wake up, that you love them faithfully. Don't stop loving them. <laughs> you might be their only connection back to God. Amen. Number two, you accept them unconditionally. That's what this father did. He ran out and threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's a moving picture of acceptance. Again, it's saying much more to the listeners that Jesus spoke to than to you because it's common for old men to run today, at least try to run. Huh? In fact, this afternoon, I've got to go run two miles. Joseph, I will not do it in 9 minutes and 58.04 seconds. We're, I'm looking at 31 minutes is what I'm looking at. This is how an old man runs right here, man. But at least I'm doing it, you know. In Jesus' day, grown men didn't run. It was a mark of humiliation. They were above that. They walked with dignity. This old man threw caution to the wind. And he ran to his son. He kissed his son. He hugged his son. Man, what a moving picture of acceptance. He didn't wait for his son to get all the way back. He saw him coming, and when he saw him, he ran to meet him. Notice it, it doesn't say that he set any conditions on the love. He didn't say to the kid, first take a shower, scrape off that scum, put on some cologne, and then I might shake your hand. Didn't say that. And again, where's this kid coming from? A pig pen. He probably had pig manure matted in his hair. Have you ever been around pigs? I remember it's, it's been years ago. My uncle took me to a pig farm down in Texas. Now, I'd, I'd been to a, a chicken ranch before, and chicken ranches stink. Chicken houses stink, right? Y'all know that. They're all around here. Some of you have chicken. They stink. Ain't nothing like a pig farm. I got out of the truck at that pig farm, and I literally threw up. It stunk so bad. I, and I still remember that stench in my nose. That's where this kid had come from. Pig manure was matted in his hair. It was crusty on his skin. He had walked through the desert probably at least three days. He desperately needed a shower. He needed to be cleaned up. Man, he needed that more than anything. He was crusted with gunk all over him. But his daddy didn't care. He gave him a big bear hug, unconditional love. Wow, what a moving picture. 
But I know what some of y'all are saying because uh, I know some of you. You're saying, well, preacher, how can I accept that child without lowering my own biblical standards? Good news is you don't have to. You need to understand there is a difference between acceptance and approval. And you can accept someone without approving of their lifestyle. You say that again because half of you didn't get it. You can accept someone without approving their lifestyle. Jesus did it all the time. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. He hung around harlots and prostitutes. He accepted the person without approving their lifestyle. And you know what? You can too. You accept the child in rebellion without approving of their lifestyle. Sometimes a big old bear hug makes all the difference in the world. Notice the son's confession. Again, verse 21. It's what he had practiced earlier. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Hmm. That's probably tough for that kid to say that. Don't you agree? It'd be tough to say that. But I think the father made it as easy for the son to say it as he possibly could. How about you? You know, in this story, the father represents God, and God is the perfect father. He didn't need to confess anything because he hadn't done anything wrong. But you know what? It's different for us because we're not perfect. And we may think it's all of our kids' fault, and I would say the biggest part of it may be their fault. But you know what? If a kid comes back home, there needs to be mutual confession. You, you need to be man enough or woman enough to say to your kid, you know what? I, I wasn't a perfect parent, and I've made some mistakes, and I'm asking you to forgive me as well. There needs to be mutual acceptance and forgiveness. So you love them faithfully with a stubborn love. You accept them unconditionally. And number three, you forgive them completely. If and when they come home, you forgive them completely. Look at verses 22 and following. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let's eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now my boy is found. Here's what I want you to see. The father didn't rub it in. He rubbed it out. That's what God does. God doesn't rub it in. He rubs it out. This father didn't say, I, I told you so. You're no good for nothing, lousy son. I knew that you would lose that money. I knew that you would waste your life. I knew it would happen. <laughs> no. Because let me tell you, when this son came home at this point, the last thing this kid needed was a sermon. He had already had his sermon. Life had taught him the sermon. He had just graduated with a Ph.D. from the school of hard knocks. Huh? Rather than rubbing it in, here's what this daddy did. He gave him a second chance. <laughs> That's what we are to do. We are to forgive them completely. We are to give them a second chance. Man, I love this story. But it, we've got it wrong. We call it the story of the prodigal son. And we make the boy the hero. He's not the hero at all. This story should be entitled, The Story, the Parable of the Loving Father. 
because God is the hero in this story. This story represents exactly how God deals with our rebellion, my rebellion, your rebellion. Just like this son, we go our own way and we mess up our own lives. And then when we come to ourselves and repent and return, our heavenly father does the same thing that this father in the story did. He gives us a second chance. Woo! That's good news. That's the news that the river valley and the world needs to hear. That there is a God of second chances. Amen? He takes our lives and remolds them and refashions them and makes something beautiful out of the total mess that we've made. That's what God wants to do in your life. Now this story has a happy ending. The son came back home and the father did everything right. He watched his son make mistakes and reap the result. He prayed, he waited, he committed. When the son came back home, he accepted him lovingly and unconditionally and forgave him completely. The story has a happy ending, at least at this point. They're celebrating. But the jury is still out for some of you. Your kid hasn't come back. That nephew or niece is still living in rebellion. Your cousin's off the deep end. Or maybe you've got a preteen in your home and you're seeing the first signs of rebellion. What do you do? Okay. Let me tell you what I do. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. Here in just a minute, I'm going to hit this altar. And I'm going to be praying and praying and not stop praying. I'm going to be committing that family member to the Lord. And then I'm going to patiently wait for God to do his business in that person's life without me messing it up. That's what I'm going to do. Because that's what this father did. Secondly, there's some teenagers in our room today. And this is where you're at. Oh, you haven't left home yet. But I mean, you're thinking about it. Your, your heart has already left. You're already rebelling against the values your parents have taught you. You think the world has something to offer you that this church doesn't. And you're ready to step off the deep end, go to the far country, and you're about to mess up your life. Now, you've heard the sermons. You've heard the preaching. But would you just for a second listen to the passion from your pastor's heart? Would you please not do that? Don't mess up your life. You can mess up your life and your family's life for years to come. Or you can take that time right now and do something great with it. Because God's plan is always good for you. God has something awesome for you. So please don't mess it up. Number three, because I did tell you this had a spiritual implication. There are some of you here today who are away from God. I know you're in church, but your heart is away from God. You know you're away from God. And it, it, it may not be a long distance that you've traveled, but you know, listen to me, if you know, if you were honest, you would admit today, I'm not as close to God as I know I need to be. 
I've drifted. If that is you, again, please join me at the altar today as we come home to God. If you will take that first step, if you'll take the first step, just get out of your pew and come down here. God's going to be reaching out for you, give you one of those big Abba Father bear hugs and love on you unconditionally. But he's waiting on you.